Muppet. And I think, like, the more that I think about this, the more it shows, like, that he's hated himself the whole time. He's always so critical of the other Muppets around him. And you know what? This was a deeper look at Plubus and what's going on in his little brain. It's not good. It's not good. I'm going to go opposite of D on this. And rather than look more, I'm going to look less. I, uh, I'm not going to continue to comment on these wastes of our time. I, no, I will. But I'm not, I'm not looking deeper. It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt, D, and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theatre. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theatre for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith, D, and Matt. NBC Saturday Night, better known as Saturday Night Live, starring Richard Pryor, originally aired on December 13th, 1975. Welcome to Episode 7 of SN Hell. Tonight, we are looking at episode seven of Saturday Night Live, or at the time, as it was known, NBC's Saturday Night. Tonight's host of the show is Richard Pryor. Musical guest is uh, Gil Scott Heron. And this is a legendary episode of Saturday Night Live. Welcome again, Matt and Dee. Great to have you back. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be back. All ready to dive into this episode? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. A little bit of trivia on this one. This episode was apparently, allegedly, broadcast on a delay. I've heard the number ranging from a five-second delay to a seven-second delay, and it's kind of gone down as in history as being the first of a few to be not totally broadcast live. Flip side of this, director Dave Wilson denies that there was any delay because he said they didn't know how to actually physically do the delay from the uh, control booth. So whether or not it was on a delay or not, who knows? I don't believe that. That sounds fucking like, that sounds like a lie. Imagine being like, I physically just, I couldn't figure out how to send an email, so I just didn't. Yeah, I'm not sure how to do my job. Sorry. Maybe. Sorry Maybe. we interrupted. But I know no, that, sounds no, like, good. that sounds like horse shit. There was definitely a delay. I would lean on the delay, but I love the thought of the guys in the booth saying, yeah, yeah, delay, delay. And they're just not even bothering. Yeah, that, 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 okay, I, I would jive with that too. But I, I don't think that that guy does not know how to do his job all of a sudden. They flick a light switch that they like stuck a piece of tape that said delay on the switch. And it <laughs> <laughs> this episode has a lot of individuals uh, who, who worked regularly with Richard Pryor involved. He brought in his people with him. I'm going to make my bio of Richard Pryor very short because I think he's somebody that everyone should look into. And uh, hopefully if you haven't looked into Richard Pryor, maybe I can give or we can give you a little nudge in doing so. Pryor is uh, considered by many to be sort of the Jackie Robinson of stand-up comedy. That might be an oversimplification, but uh, there were a lot of uh, color barriers that were kicked down by Pryor. And the second part I'll say about Mr. Pryor is any list of the top comedians of the 20th century or top comedians of all time or whatever that doesn't have Pryor in the top, I say two, but I'd be willing to say top three, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Pryor is among the greatest that we've ever seen. I think Richard Pryor changed stand-up comedy, and I think we still see his influence all over every comedian, not just black comics, white comics, all comics. 
comics. I don't think you can argue that. Uh, yeah, I'd only heard of him in passing. If you have any friends that are comedians, you've probably heard of him. I thought he was wonderful. Cool. So we will just jump right into the cold open. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about on this one. Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin are restaurant patrons. They call in the waiter and both Garrett Morris and Chevy Chase enter and they argue over who is cast in the role to do the fall. Garrett Morris says that Richard Pryor insisted he do it instead of Chevy. Chevy's a little pissy about it. Garrett Morris shows Chevy how he plans to fall. It's pretty bad. Chevy says this is how you do it and Chevy falls, hurts himself and gets knocked out, giving Garrett Morris the first live from New York line that isn't delivered by Chevy Chase. That's great. Wonderful. It's like two little kids arguing on the playground about, oh, can I, I'm the one that can do it right. I'm going to show you how to do it. So silly. Uh, and seeing somebody else deliver that opening is a breath of fresh air as much as I like Chevy in these openings. It's just nice to see someone else get that moment because he deserved that. He deserves his moment. Yeah, I mean, it's like I still, my, my biggest laugh in the sketch was still Chevy Chase. Chevy's fall here was next level good. <laughs> this is my favorite Chevy fall so far. Definitely popped me. But Kara Morris, also hilarious. Yeah, great cold open. Probably my favorite cold open yet, actually. There's been a definite climb in the quality of the cold opens. And I, I actually wrote down, you know, first person of color to deliver the line. And then I realized it's the first person who's not Chevy Chase to deliver the line. Yeah. <laughs> So good on Garrett. I didn't know how to respond. Chevy gave the line where it's like, well, it's not Richard's show. He's just the guest. And part of me read that into Chevy saying, it's not Richard's show. It's my show. So I, I didn't know how to read that. And I know I'm reading more into it than I should. But I thought that was a little implied there. I definitely, uh, I got a rise out of the line. I liked it. Me too. So then uh, Richard comes out, uh, Richard Pryor comes out for his uh, intro or his monologue. I think this is stand up he'd done elsewhere. But unlike Carlin, I thought he was on fire tonight. Everything was perfect in this, this stand up bit. I think it was very funny. It starts off uh, with this drunk impression which i thought went on for a little bit long but then when he gets into the point where he has taken acid and he's he's got the white people voice going on he's going through the acid trip and he starts to freak out and he's like i don't remember how to breathe i'm gonna die and i'm like same girl that's how i would feel made me laugh i i absolutely love him and he's so cute oh wait 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 the whack bell bottoms as soon as the camera zoomed out and i saw his pants i was like what are those yeah great pants and great shoes the cuban heels on them were yeah. fire and yeah it was good stand-up great monologue i didn't uh, you know it didn't rewrite the formula uh but this was it being done well full marks now we go to Samurai Hotel. This is the debut of one of John Belushi's most famous characters, Samurai Futaba, where he's running a hotel. Chevy Chase comes to stay. Belushi uh, plays this Japanese samurai um, who keeps pulling out his uh, katana and doing goofy things with it, like a golf club or a, a pool cue. The character was modeled after a character from uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo. And then Belushi calls in his samurai assistant, who is played by Richard Pryor. They duel with each other as to who's going to take Chase's bags up to his room. Pryor chops the desk in half with his sword, which convinces Belushi to be the one to do it. How did this one sit with you guys? I'm going to go first, and I'm going to be brief. Uh, this does not make it to air today. This is bad shit. Why does Belushi got to do this? Who wrote this? I don't like this, and I don't like how Belushi is starting to, like, make me uncomfortable. It seems like his jokes are, like, based on being super edgy. Racist gibberish. White 
dribble. I did not like it. And Pryor, how dare you for participating in this? Because it's so easy to be like, oh, white dribble. And it's like, but you participated in this with your position on the show in this episode and kind of pushing the envelope. Like, why would you push it here? I just don't understand. Like, why are you making fun of other cultures? That's an excellent point. How dare Richard Pryor go out there and make racist jokes against Asian people? So the, the skit was written by Tom Schiller based on a character Belushi did. Pryor really wanted the skit to happen. Shitty decisions across yeah. the board from uh, people who have no respect for Asians. Being black isn't a pass to make fun of other cultures. If you want to say the N-word, for those of you who are fragile about that, who are black, you can say that, but you can't go in on, like, another culture like that. It's so gross and so inappropriate. You know, this this whole episode, and probably a lot to do with the fact Pryor is the host, but this whole episode deals with race in, in a very progressive way through satire and humor. This is not meshing with that at all. No, it's so frustrating to me it's so hard to take it take the whole rest of the episode take that if they're trying to deliver message which i think they are you you can't do this the hypocrisy is it's too much yeah you you fucking shot your message down it's Mm. so narrow it's so short-sighted what an embarrassment you'll be delighted to know that we will see a lot more of Samurai Futaba as time goes on. Sweet. Let's, let's fucking get there. Our next bit is Gil Scott Heron. This gentleman appeared on the show at Pryor's insistence. He sings his song Johannesburg. It's uh, it's hard to, to genre it, but I'm going to say it's blues inspired with some uh, African instruments uh, put in as well. I mean, a necessary palate cleanser. Uh, it was fine. I'm not the biggest fan this fella but i mean it was fine i needed uh a break as i mean i i was hot after the last sketch to be honest so and this 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 was a nice placating uh sugar dose it was fine it didn't rock me yeah it revived me it soothed me and you know what it did rock me slowly and gently and i really enjoyed it uh his voice is marvelous in this song and the band is bopping appropriate energy for snl do you guys want to be shocked yeah this might be my favorite musical performance yet i'm not sure shocked no but i I, i'm like i didn't think it was going to be your favorite no i loved it uh well i mean like lily tomlin's thing in the last episode i really enjoyed this was new to me and i loved this song so now we go to a segment that we've seen before um it's jane Curtin hosting looks at books her guest today is the author of White Like Me, Junior Griffin, who is played by Richard Pryor. He talks about writing a book, how he painted himself white with shoe polish, to learn the white man's struggle. He kept getting hired for jobs, and he had a lot of credit cards. And his next book will be about uh, Jewish American princesses. Uh, it was pretty funny for me. I see a lot of discourse about this on Twitter. It's still relevant to this day, just especially, again, I brought her up before. Four. I can't believe I'm bringing her up again, but I have to bring up Bad Baby again. It's these white people who think that black is a walk, that black is how you're talking, that it's not literally who you are. And it's just so bizarre to me. It's something white people would definitely do and have done. Matt, what do you think about this one? I thought it was hilarious. I love Jane Curtin. I love her doing this straight woman talk show host. She just sells it so well by just no selling it. She is, uh, Jane Curtin would have been good in like the Stepford Wives. She has that, that robotic stare that can, that really just, just 
transcends the television. As for the whole bit, yeah, I thought Richard Pryor was really funny. Eddie Murphy's kind of going to kind of do this joke later on the show. Richard Pryor is fucking funnier than Eddie Murphy. Let's get that right. Full marks. Do you know the name of the short movie that Eddie Murphy does? When no, he, he, I don't remember it, but he goes, it's like, my name is Mr. White. Yeah. And he, you know, he goes on his little job interviews. It's on his like best of SNL it is. DVD. And it's this sketch, but shot as a remote. The movie is also called White Like Me. Everything was firing here. Brilliantly written, brilliantly performed, very topical, but still today uh, applicable and relevant. And then next we have... The new dad rerun. One of the reasons I think a lot of these commercials are popping up again is is ratings are a hit and people are seeing Saturday Night Live for the first time. So these are easy, fun things to stick in there again. I think that's part of the reason for. Yeah, this one made me laugh. Matt didn't remember it. And I know that he watched it um, and he laughed at it this time, but didn't laugh at it the first time. So I don't know what that was about, but I laughed both times. I don't know what it's about either. Next up, it's a police lineup with Neil Levy, dressed as a Boy Scout. Levy was a uh, production assistant and a cousin to Lauren Michaels, who kind of rose through the ranks of Saturday Night Live over the years. John Belushi is a doctor. Chevy Chase is a businessman. And Richard Pryor is a guy in a black jacket. Through voiceover, Dan Aykroyd asks Gilda Radner who it was that mugged her. She says it's the man in the handcuffs. They sent Richard Pryor into the police lineup wearing handcuffs. I thought it was lazy lazy for me our next one is racist word association it features chevy chase and richard pryor pryor's a job applicant and chevy chase is the hr rep the interview went well but before giving pryor the job they have to do some some word association exercises chase uses one word and uh pryor repeats it and it sort of peaks with the uh the n-word being used this is one of the most famous sketches to ever appear on saturday night live Oh my god, I thought it was so funny. Yeah, there are some words in this that I would personally say, but I'm not going to say them on the podcast. I thought it was so funny. The slurs that were used against the white person were like so nothing, like in comparison to what Chevy was saying. And uh, the two of them together, really funny. And just the longer it went on, the funnier it was. When it comes to uh, the N-word being said... You can pull off a joke like this, like, and have somebody say words that kind of push the boundaries and have it still be funny. I think that this could still air today, um, but if it doesn't, it's because white people are worried that it's going to bring the ratings down. I don't think, I think uh, Larry David has said the Edward on television this century. Yes, and it he was has, hilarious. but I don't think it's the same as saying it on like a live TV kind of setting. Despite the year, does it have anything to do with the year? I don't know. Uh, it, there is. You're talking about the uh, the episode of Curb with the crazy eyes killer. Is yeah, I remember one? that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, HBO gives a little bit of leeway in some ways. They they care less, I think, about censorship. I suppose. Um, There's a lot of ways to do things right. This is not the same as making fun of Asians. Like the people were included in the joke here. Like, he was included in the joke here. I think this is how you do racial satire properly. Yes, honey. I thought it was funny. Of course I think it's funny. It was funny. I don't really have... I don't have anything insightful to say about it. I thought it was... I thought Chevy Chase was funny. I thought Richard Pryor was funny. I thought the jokes were funny. It works as a comedy sketch. This was funny. And it was edgy, which is what I wanted a Saturday Night Live. 
So yep. uh, just on those very, you know, I, I judge it like I judge every other. Yeah, sketch. it doesn't have to be deep. That's this the was point. fucking. This like, was just, just like funny. A, yeah, this was just an edgy SNL sketch with a good host integration. Chevy Chase doing his job as the star. Thumbs up. I gotta go look at the comments about it after this because I need to know if people are deep in their feelings where they shouldn't be. People are don't. It's on the. You're looking at internet comments. I want to. And you want to know if people are deep in their feelings in the okay. internet comments? Of course but they are. But sometimes you're like surprised by the way that people respond to things. This has been this sketch from the time it aired. Well, actually, from the time before it aired until today is debated by people on all sides of the political spectrum and people of all colors, whether it was appropriate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want anything to do with that. No, no, I, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I started I to and I, I had to pull back. And on uh, a lot of lists I've looked at, this one always ranks towards the top on the best SNL skit of all time. Um, the Rolling Stone list I'm using has this as number 10. Coming up next, we have another installment of Pong featuring Al Franken. And Keith, who is the other Pong player? Uh, Tom Davis. Tom Davis. Tom Davis and Al Franken and another Pong sketch that wastes my goddamn time. I hate these sketches. Al Franken will go on and grow up to be a funny man. I don't know who Tom Davis is. <laughs> he, he's another, he sticks around for a long time. Um, and uh, he's uh, he's Franken's writing partner. These are a thorn in my side. I'd rather, you know, at least I'm not, I'm done. I don't want to say anything else. It wasn't funny to me. I mean, I have it circled. His score started off as 7 to 0 or 6 to 0. Like, something that high is where it actually started off. And it's just like, where can you go from here? Like, are they going to flip it around? Guess what? Nope. It didn't work for me. Um, This was the worst of the Pongs. I I didn't find it particularly funny. Although, the scoring was more to my tune, but... Yeah, it, it, this didn't work. I think they stayed a reason like, oh, something was wrong with my side at the end. So that made me kind of go, oh, that makes sense. But it still wasn't funny. If that's the case, though, it totally undermines the whole sketch. You know what I mean? If, if his yeah. buttons were wrong. So, uh, yeah, this didn't. And he uh, just didn't say anything. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. If my buttons weren't working, like, even if the conversation was deep and important, I'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> my yep. buttons aren't working. The next uh, sketch is a family dinner. The sketch is called Black Family Takeover. Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin are the parents of John Belushi and Gilda Radner. And Aykroyd is ranting at the table about all the black people that are moving into his area and getting jobs at his uh, place of business. Radner and then Belushi leave the room and they return as African-Americans, played by Anazette Chase and Richard Pryor. Then Curtin gets up and leaves and comes back as uh, actor Kathy McKee. Aykroyd ends the sketch by asking for the son to serve the grits. I enjoyed this one. It, it, it cut cut to the point yeah me too i thought this was pretty funny i thought uh i was kept uh, this this one really played with my expectations i was like is he gonna notice is is all of a sudden is he gonna burst out at the end or is there gonna be like a, a payoff so this one i really liked because i was never really sure what was coming i didn't know what the what the uh what the punchline was going to be uh, so that made it a little extra entertaining for me who were all these extras keith like who are who are these people that came out do you know Absolutely, yeah. Anna's at Chase was the replacement for Gilda Radner, and uh, Kathy McKee 
who was Richard Pryor's girlfriend. She was the uh, the Jane Curtin replacement. Cool. But uh, but no, I, I did enjoy the sketch. And sometimes I don't like saying this because I feel like I, I try to approach these episodes with as fresh a take as possible. But sometimes, you know, I just can't help it. Maybe maybe that's OK. But anyway, it really felt like a classic SNL humor. And I, I don't like you know what I mean when I say I don't like describing it as classic SNL humor because we're on like episode seven. But it still feels like that to me. At first, I was so confused as to what was going on. I was like. Why is he saying all this if he has, like, two black adopted kids, like, when they first came in the room? I just thought the white kids were, like, out of the room. And then I thought the joke was that, oh, he's treating his, like, adopted black kids like they're worth less than the other ones because his attitude when they come on the screen is more negative than it is when the two white kids are on the screen. Um, but then I realized that the whole family was being replaced with black people. And that was really silly. That was good. I liked it. The The racial aggressor is the moron, which is yeah. sort of the secret as to why all in the family worked when all in the family worked. Small bit at the end, when Ackroyd says pass the grits, is grits not traditionally what they used to call black soul food um it's classified as soul food the descendant of slave meals and poverty dishes made up of what could be grown or scraped up um so it's kind of it's not necessarily like a black staple food it's kind that's why uh it's associated with black culture which is interesting so not only is the family replaced, but we can infer then that the uh, that the meal itself is replaced too. Yeah, yeah I yeah. didn't notice that at all. No, the meal became black too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weekend update, and we get the first delivery of the most famous weekend update line at the time. Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. Broad stroke look at weekend update. It is there. It is almost fully formed the timing the production the delivery are all there and i found there were less gerald ford jokes than usual this time yeah but they seem to have substituted them with gay jokes for some reason like oh everybody's gay everybody's gay (laughs) and it's just like why is that funny to you guys that's just a weird thing to find so funny i guess enough so to put it in that spot instead weekend update still doesn't click for me, when I think of Saturday Night Live as a whole, I think about Weekend Update as being one of my favorite parts of the show. And historically, it will become. It's not there. And, you know, what are we on? Seven? I keep saying this. I'm a broken record. I hope that's okay. I hope that doesn't make me... I hope I'm not dragging down the podcast with my repetition. I hope everyone was gay. Weekend Update's not there yet, though. Yeah, we see the Spud Beer ad again. That's a quick rerun. That It was only last week. But that one yeah. yeah yeah awfully quick she's back emily latella with her weekend update debut and this is where people remember uh the character from she has uh issues with children being busted actually busting school children <laughs> and she thinks it's terrible that they arrest kids my favorite line was even though they get bread i don't believe they get toast and then, <laughs> When it's explained to her, she gives her classic never mind. Not quite the way she'll deliver it later, but pretty damn close. Uh, I am very glad that we're finally getting to the point where Weekend Update is going to have these memorable guests like Emily. Yeah, I like this a lot. Just seeing her figure out that she got it wrong once again, it was like, shit, bitch, I know that feeling too. And I feel like I'm going to continue to relate to her. She's really relatable. When I think of Gilda Radner, the first thing the first thing I ever knew about Gilda Radner were these zany characters. You know, I've mentioned on a previous episode, it's always such a nice treat when I see her be herself or do something a little more uh, subdued. 
because my, my mind gravitates toward her in these any characters. So, and, and you know, it's nice to see the genesis of this one. They made her the star that she became. Once again, we have Garrett Morris back giving the translation for the people who are hard of hearing. Still working, Matt? Still working for me. Laughed as soon as I saw Garrett's face come up on the screen. No change reported. Still works. Getting funnier for me. The more <laughs> it happens, the funnier it gets. I think they also expanded his little circle into an oval this time. Um, so there's <laughs> so a little yeah, bit more that. of him on the was screen. Was there more Garrett? There was, so he's visually there more as well. There seems to be no real point to that, so that's really funny. <laughs> this is a great running gag. I love this. I had originally written, might be time to back these off a bit, and then I, I deleted it because it's still funny. Our next bit's, uh, again, another police lineup. This time it is Richard Pryor, a fridge, a goose, and Jane Curtin dressed as a nun. Um, Aykroyd's voice asks Radner to identify the uh, culprit, and Radner says she wants them to open the icebox. Sorry, this one kind of fell flat for me. The first one got a little bit of a chuckle, but this one... Uh, just kind of, it was a little too out there, a little too silly. I'm going chronologically in my notes here, obviously, as is the show, duh, but still at this point in my notes, I didn't get what was going on. And I, again, I will have more to say about it later, but I think it is worth noting. It, it's not just filler. I mean, I guess I'll stand by because I'm, I'm watching this stuff for the chuckles, but I, and like, it's cause you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I know they're, they're, they're making a point. They're not. Maybe, maybe it's the format. I feel like I get it, but I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm not oh, the big, biggest fan of how they're doing it. Maybe I didn't laugh. If you needed to know that, I certainly didn't laugh at this. But I think there, it's worth noting that it's more than just filler. Okay, and we're now uh, next sketch is uh, Dan Aykroyd as a general, I believe, sending Richard Pryor on a uh, covert mission to the Ukraine. Aykroyd gives Pryor some stuff to take with him. And he says, take this pill. And prior mistakes take this pill for take along this pill. He takes the pill and it's a uh, suicide cyanide tablet type thing. This was a quick one. It was a gag. Uh, as soon as he said, take this pill, I saw where it was going. Um, I did sort of laugh at Pryor's reaction, though. Oh, shit. What did I do? Apparently, I miss a lot of things because I thought he just fainted at the end. And I guess I didn't really get the joke. I thought he was just like he had taken like a sleeping pill that he was to give to somebody on this mission. Dan was fantastic in this little skit. He was the star of the skit. So funny just listening to him go on. He gets so into the character that he's doing. Like, he is legitimately that character every time. I love it. Yeah, Dan's great. I do, But I do think, like, this is the one I think is filler. This is filler. Yeah, this is filler. And we're back to the uh, dregs and vestiges slash Muppets. In this one, King Plubus is drunk, and he forces Screb to drink. It's a bunch of drunk jokes that don't really hit home for me. I haven't liked any of these. Um, this one may have been the worst in some ways. Was shorter than usual, so I'll give it a, a mini point for that. I'm wondering if the uh, the uh, writers are just sabotaging the Muppets at this point. The one little bit at the end I did like, sort of, was uh, the, the statue said the mighty Oz has spoken, and of course the line delivered by Frank Oz, a nice little meta chuckle, but that does not save the segment at all. It kind of made me sad. Like, is this a Plubus? Am I saying the right name this time? I think so. That's what I've been saying. 
Plubus. Okay, yeah. This is a deeper look. Like, if if I'm going to try to like drags, I need to look at it a little bit deeper, I think. I keep talking about the characters from episode to episode, so let's just go for it. Plubus opens chugging some liquor, and as per usual, like, Scratches wants this guy to like him. So he ends up chugging liquor with him. He's kind of forced. But then Plubus goes on to say he hates drinking because he hates himself. And I think, like, the more that I think about this, the more it shows, like, that he's hated himself the whole time. He's always so critical of the other Muppets around him. And you know what? This was a deeper look at Plubus and what's going on in his little brain. It's not good. It's not good. I'm going to go opposite of D on this and not. And rather than look more, I'm going to look less. I, uh, I'm not going to continue to comment on these fucking wastes of our time. I, no, I will. But, uh, but I'm not, I'm not looking deeper. These aren't funny. Uh, I, we've already established that they're, they're not entirely in the control of Jim Henson, but nor are they entirely in control of the writers. This is bad television. And why are you shaking your hands at me, D? Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I just have a thought. At the beginning of all this, we said that this was not necessarily a comedy show, but it was a variety show. So in the respect of it being a variety show, why would I not look at the character development? Like, do I have to rate everything as it being funny? Okay, so here's what the problem becomes. It's because the show doesn't know what its identity is. Saturday Night Live right now is questioning its identity. Spoiler alert, Saturday Night Live is going to grow into, very soon, a comedy show. Saturday Night Live is going to try to be funny, with the rare exception where they have to fucking ram you over the head with a sledgehammer and be like, look how politically liberal we are! Well, I didn't know that. I'm watching it all I know. for the first time. Uh, and I'm not trying to... I'm sorry if my tone suggests that you that you should have known. I don't mean it like that at all. In some ways, I'm, I'm sitting with Diet looking at these characters in, in a bigger arc because we do see them... Like, we're watching the evolution of all these other characters that keep coming back. We're back to the lineup again. Yeah. Um, so, police lineup three. Um, in this one, it's... Uh, Richard Pryor, along with three uh, police officers, played by uh, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, and Tom Schiller, uh, another one of the writers. And this time, they're all pointing as it's time to identify who the uh, who the, the culprit is. And that's the end of the uh, lineup. So I'd, I'd love to hear where you're at, D, on this one. I know you've, you've teased us already. How did this trio of sketches work for you? This was the moment that I realized, oh, like, it was all just a black joke. If you notice, like, it is the same guy from every other sketch. Like, he has a physical injury from the other two incidents where he was there and went through this already. So it's just that he keeps getting put back in this position where he's being identified because he's black. And at the end, it really highlights it. At first, I was like, is this? No, that's not where it's going. But then they have them all dressed as cops, like literally pointing to him. And I'm like, this is too real for me right now. This is what we're living through right now. And I understand maybe... I don't know if it was just arbitrary comedy at the time, but now it's like, it really is like, I don't know. I thought about it a lot. I'm still thinking about it a lot. This is the world a lot of people are living right now and have been for a long time. And I think in some ways, because this sketch is 46 years old, it goes to show how little things have changed. I can't stop thinking about it. That's Mm -hmm. all I have to say. I don't Mm -hmm. really want to say anything more about it because I think uh, it speaks for itself and it speaks for itself Mm -hmm. as somebody who isn't 
completely white like just watching this i didn't get it at first and i kept not getting it and it's like oh shit like he made himself the butt of the joke to make this point it just was so unfunny (laughs) matt you have nothing to add nope our next uh sketch is the exorcist 2 with uh thalmas rajulala and richard pryor serving as the priests they are called by Jane Curtin because her daughter, is played by Lorraine Newman, is uh, possessed by the devil. The priests go into her room. The bed the bed is jumping. The room is snowing. The cupboards are opening and closing. They have a back and forth, which is not that dissimilar from the actual exorcist, until the young girl starts insulting their mothers. And then uh, the shit hits the fan. Newman herself sort of switches back and forth between mouthing Chevy Chase's voice as the demon and her own version of like a Shirley Temple little girl voice. I love The Exorcist. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I had very mixed feelings about this. First of all, if I'm not mistaken, the crowd popped for the production effects. Keith, is that correct? I know I did. Uh, that Yeah, I lost my mind at the production effects. The Holy crowd shit. popped when they came, when they walked into the room after they went upstairs. Oh. The crowd was like, and there, there was a round of applause for all I of too. The, you know, the bed shaking and the, the snow and all the wind. Well, when you think that uh, six weeks ago, they couldn't time Chevy Chase with a camera. <laughs> this is what they pulled <laughs> off now. Yeah, technically, so, this was amazing. Yeah, yeah, the crowd loved it. First of all, blanket statement. I liked this bit. This worked for me. This is a success. It's elaborate. I think if I contextualize this in a more modern SNL context, the, I think this comes earlier in the show. This is a hot sketch that uh, that has a lot of appeal. It's talking about something topical. Exorcist is a hot movie right now. It's probably one of the most talked about movies of its time. So I think this should have came a little earlier in the episode or it would have in more modern times. But anyway, uh, my biggest problem with this sketch is uh, maybe a bit of a surprise. It's Lorraine Newman. I think Lorraine Newman tanks her performance here. I don't know who could have done it better. When I think about it, like Gilda Radner would have been too hokey and Jane Curtin is just too, you know, she's too the straight woman. So I don't I don't really think they had the chops to pull off this role from their pool of actresses. And I think Lorraine Newman ruined this sketch which could have been good really really good uh my least favorite thing i've ever seen her do probably the least favorite thing i will ever see her do i loved the exorcist i wanted to love the sketch everybody's great everybody's great except lorraine newman lorraine newman ruins this sketch what a weird thing i'm surprised i find myself saying this it also went on a little bit long for me it felt a little bit dragged out to me Uh, Maybe it's because uh, they wanted to make you so such a cool set and having all those effects timed. I thought Lorraine Newman was stellar in this. I thought this was the best we've seen of her. I was blown away by her performance in this. Uh, The miming with with the voice. There was one glitch there. It was Chevy's fuck up, not hers. Yeah, this I, I thought she was fantastic in this. I love this sketch crazy right yeah it's interesting eh? i i just i liked her switching back and forth and uh thoroughly enjoyed this yeah i guess we, we just disagree on this one because i really think the jokes were there this time usually my criticism is that you know what the performances were great but the jokes weren't there but i really thought the jokes were there i thought this was clever and topical and a great sketch but yeah you and i just yeah. subjectively disagree on this i hated lorraine newman in this what put it over the top for me was how good her mouth movements to chevy's voice were 
up until the point where the line got flubbed. It's so funny. I I didn't like the makeup that you gave her. <laughs> she looked shit. But uh, <laughs> it, like the she uh, all the amazing production they used, and that was the shit makeup. She looked um, geeky. I like Lorraine Newman. Let me get that on the record. I'm a I'm a Lorraine Newman fan. She's I, so cute. She's beautiful, I think. She does not get the credit, in retrospect, she does not get the credit she deserves. She never had a franchise. Well, yeah, she was she was very hesitant to, to do repeat characters, actually. That was part of her, her, her thing. That's respectable. She, I yeah, can respect yeah. that. I dig that, too. Very on SNL of her. But yeah, she, she was not too keen on, on, on doing the same thing over and over again. That's what you call an authentic person. She's yeah. my next that, that's my next audible credit. I'm gonna buy her book, May You Live in Interesting Times by Lorraine Newman. I got it last night actually, at your suggestion. So yeah. Maybe we can do a spin off where we review books on uh Saturday Night Live books. Because there's a ton of them, my friend. Holy jumpins. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've am i just started Live from New York. Once I'm finished with it, then I got Lorraine Newman's, and then I'm going to come looking for a recommendation on what's number three. So our next bit is a Albert Brooks movie. Albert Brooks is homesick in bed, but he's playing with his remote control Zoom. He telephones his doctor, who says he's just working too hard and will soon die if he doesn't slow down. I don't know who the picture is, but the voice is definitely Harry Shearer using his uh, kind of his principal Skinner voice. And we'll get to see Harry Shearer uh, shortly. And he tells Albert Brooks to slow down and not make another movie. And then some guy delivers chicken, and the kid plugs Albert Brooks's new album, and they've bleeped the title out. And Albert Brooks insults the film processor. The album that was released was A Star Is Bought. And this was shit. Other than the little sort of footnote that the voice is Harry Shearer, this was garbage. And uh, it is the absolute epitomization of phoning it in. I hated this. I agree. It felt like he absolutely did not care. I didn't feel until this point that he was really riding the money that they were giving him. But what was this? Like, it's kind of insulting. The star of this was the delivery guy. (laughs) I got a couple of laughs out of the delivery guy. He just wanted to be there. He just wanted to be seen. I mean, what can I say that hasn't already been said? The only thing that was redeemed, you know, the the guy I I thought of, he was the twink. But Albert Brooks is a waste of time on this show. It's a bad format. He's a bad fit. Fuck, I can't wait till these go away. I, I really don't have anything original to say about them at this point. And he doesn't have anything original to say about them either. I wish I get fucking his money for also being unoriginal. So the next bit is a Richard Pryor, uh, what starts out as a stand-up bit, but is quickly interrupted by Tom Schiller, who interrupts uh, uh, that there was a second shooter on the grassy knoll, and then Schiller himself is shot. This was silly to me, and I know that the joke is that another comedian who, who became a, a very important activist, Dick Gregory, was, was big on the uh, second shooter theory at the time, and Pryor makes the joke that this guy must be sort of mixing him up with Dick Gregory. This was just, uh, this wasn't any good to me this wasn't fun no stupid conspiracy humor topical like this is like a meme today i didn't care about this not even a little bit Pryor throws it to his ex-wife shelly Pryor, and she does a sort of poem song about uh, carousel horses and it's a it's an allegory for uh, racial harmony this is not saturday night live fodder shelly Pryor is absolutely there because of who her ex-husband is but i really enjoyed this this was a nice little poem and i thought that this could have been maybe circulated a lot more than it was. I, I really like this. I liked her delivery. She looks like Charlotte Flair. Is this Charlotte Flair? She does kind of look like Charlotte Flair. She looks like Charlotte Flair and Cher 
fell into the fly pod. This belongs on a kid's show. This is the kind of shit you give to kids so they don't call another kid the N-word. You show this to white kids so that they don't push the black kid in the mud. This is ridiculous. Did anybody notice is her coke just... nails? No, but it feels like she's oh, trying yeah, to like, communicate with white people in some weird fashion. I don't know what's going on. It's weird. That's why she's... Is this why she's the ex-wife? Because this is some weird shit. This is some weird coattails riding ass. Get off this motherfucker shit. Yeah. <laughs> weird, weird segment. Weird lady uh, that looks like WWE superstar Charlotte Flair and Cher and has giant coke nails. She has, yeah, she has talons. She has very long, long nails. So our next bit is another Richard Pryor uh, stand up. This one's about growing up around his grandmother and some religious stuff and some neighborhood winos. Um, I've heard versions of this before that were better, but I enjoyed this. Me too. This is just good stand-up comedy, and I appreciate good stand-up comedy. And this is this is the kind of shit that reminds me that, that Richard Pryor changed the genre, literally. Uh, he was just that good. It's 2021. I've seen, like, rip-offs of his bit as recently as you know, uh, within the past year. He's a legend in this field. Yeah, very good. I felt like it went on a little bit too long, but I feel like maybe that's just a me thing. Every time I watch stand-up, I always feel like it's dragging on a little bit too long. He's funny. He's super funny. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and then we go to uh, Gil Scott Heron singing A Lovely Day. Another great performance. I didn't like this one as much as Johannesburg, but whatever the audio issues were with the first song, they're gone for this one. This was a fun performance, but nothing to, to write home about like the first no. one. No. Where's the consistency here? Like, it doesn't sound as good as the first one, even though there were audio issues in the first one. Like, what's going on? His voice sounds completely different. Whatever. <laughs> I, I also didn't like it very much. <laughs> Yeah, we've yet to have an episode yet where the second performance of any musical song was better than the first. Why? Like, what's going on there? Like, why can't you pop off twice? Because they're doing know. too much blow backstage. <laughs> it's the late 70s. Everybody is using drugs, except for Jane Curtin. <laughs> so if you're not Jane Curtin, your, your performance is suffering because of your substance abuse. Important to preface, I have no proof of this. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode so uh yeah let's go through our uh, our ratings here and give out our awards so let's uh let's start by uh discussing the music how did uh gil scott heron work for you guys gil scott heron <laughs> did not work great for me keith i would give uh, gil scott heron as a musical guest this evening 5.5 out of 10 for his musical performance interesting you know he's got a good band the sound quality wasn't all there. He's not fucking killing it as a singer. Uh, the songs are not quite catchy. This isn't a music review. 5.5 out of 10. I have to break it up into two parts. I'm channeling, like, we're vibing with an 8 out of 10 for the first song, but the second one was 3 out of 10. Like, literally, whatever. I don't know what you did between the first and the last song, but it was not good for your voice. Mm-mm, no, I didn't like that. I'm right. of the same ilk as D. He was great the first time, meh, the second time. But uh, I really, really like that first song, and I, I've since Spotified the hell out of it. Good showing by uh, by by Gil Scott Heron. And rate the host. How did Mr. Pryor do? 
I would give Richard Pryor for his performance tonight. Seven out of ten. I really think that uh, he did a good job with the sketches. That was obviously a lot that he brought to the table when he came to this episode. Uh, I really think, uh, and in the interest of full disclosure, that, that his fucking hypocrisy with the Japanese sketch with Belushi... Uh, really taints the experience for me a fair deal yeah richard Pryor for me as a host it was a six out of ten it would have been higher but just the hypocrisy and the sketch he did uh just the racism it's not for me don't like it and it's really unfortunate because i wanted to be able to score him higher i always want to be able to score things higher and it's just like why did you have to do this isn't it disappointing that when we came in, because I mean, I came into this thinking that this is going to be a, like a cool progressive episode of television. And then he agreed to do something so fucking backward that it really just ruined the whole thing. I know. Yeah. So the, the progressiveness that was there. It's over. over. It's been ripped over. away. It's gone. Yeah. It's just, yeah. There's no progressiveness here in this episode for me. But I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to. I came in feeling fresh as a lettuce. And then by the end of it, I was withered and We're withered. I thought for what he did, he did a really good, really, really, really good job. Except the serious scar that is that uh, Samurai Futaba sketch. He brought in a lot of his own people, which is was beneficial. Sometimes that doesn't work. His stand up was great. I think his presence on this show absolutely enhanced it, um, certainly from a comedic standpoint. And, and just sort of wondering, the stuff we didn't like, might they have tried this with somebody else? And uh, and certainly been a lot more flat. Um, it's a tricky one, but it's sort of how I have chosen to look at it. If them sketches were going to be done with somebody else anyway... Um, how was his straight up performance? And and I thought he did a good job. Thought I like great, knowing that he, he brought in his own people. Okay, worst bit of the night. Do I have to ask? Nope. No. If you don't know and you're listening to this, I don't know, buddy. <laughs> um. Yeah, my worst bit of the night. It's replaced the Muppets, but yeah, the the Samurai Futaba bit at the beginning. On top of the racial stuff, it was really no value to it at all. It was it was Belushi doing silly things with swords and making stupid noises. This didn't work for me. And honorable mention again to the Muppets, which sucked because they had it with the Tomlin episode. They knew what they were doing. And then this shit. So, yeah. Uh, your bit of the night. I will go ahead and say my favorite bit of the night was the family dinner. I thought that was classic Saturday Night Live. Again, I hate saying that uh, when it's so early, but it 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 really is. It really it's a template. It sets the template. So I, I shouldn't maybe be so reluctant. I shouldn't be down on myself for saying it's classic Saturday Night Live when it's like single digit episodes of season one, because this is the kind of shit that's really setting up the show for success for years to come. So I forgive myself this is my favorite skit of the night i am gonna agree with the family dinner i was a little bit tied up uh with the other one the whole slur fight that they had because it was just so so ridiculous and in my opinion groundbreaking um what you could and couldn't say on tv at the time and probably even today yeah family dinner for me yeah i wanted to say the uh the racist word association one as well because that's the uh 
that's the money shot from the episode apparently but uh, i'm with you guys the uh, the black family takeover the dinner was uh was was to me a, a better sketch fun performances and uh there was an extra level of thought maybe um, exactly uh not only did I think the dinner sketch was more clever? Uh, I thought the actors in it, from uh, Prior to Aykroyd, everybody involved, even uh, you know our non-regulars who came out, everybody sold this so well, and especially like Dan Aykroyd, an unsung hero in this sketch, who just continues to no sell the whole thing as all these people are coming out. The thing with uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor. You know, I get that that's like the highlight reel, but, you know, it's just because it was, you know, it's almost like shock humor Uh, and it's not shock humor. But, you know, it's why people remember because they want to gasp. It's the gasp moment. So that's why it doesn't mean it's funnier. And to Dee's point before, you know, Dee was like, is this, you know, should I is this how should I be thinking about this show as funny? Yes. Or funny? No. Uh, And at this point, I don't think they want us to think of it like that. It grows into that. You know what I mean, Keith? Absolutely. Um, the other thing, too, I mean, uh, my my opinion is slightly tempered by the fact that I've seen the word association sketch many, 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 many times. The family dinner sketch, I've only seen, this might have only been the second or third time I've ever seen it. So, you know, it's new. I, I preferred that one, partially for that reason. And your uh, star of the night, your comic star of the night. It has to be Richard Pryor. He carried the episode. Richard Pryor is this episode. Everybody else is uh, a bit player to him on this go around. I'm going to have to give it to Richard Pryor, and I feel hesitant to do so just because of just that horrible, gross misstep that he had in judgment. I don't know. Not to defend that sketch at all, but I mean, he was this episode. He was in almost everything. He was in almost everything. He carried the whole thing. And this is like, this is a monumental episode, not just because they're tackling race relations on national television. But I mean, he was just everywhere in this and you and I think you clearly enjoyed it. Yeah, I have to agree with that. So I'm going to give it to Richard Pryor as well. And sometimes for for these ratings at the end, it's it's the whole of the episode. You know, it's sadly nobody has batted a thousand yet. Not to at all forgive that sketch at all. But uh, but yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. As as I've stated before, I'm sticking with the not ready for primetime players uh, as much as I possibly can for this one. And uh, everyone was pretty even across the board. So I had to go into individual sketches and say who did the best in these sketches. And uh, Matt, you're going to kill me, but uh, Lorraine Newman won this one for me. We just do not agree on this no. particular one. So Anazette Chase, um, she was in a bunch of films in the 60s through the 80s. She has no credits beyond the early 80s, and I couldn't find much more. I only did a cursory look, but uh, I couldn't find a heck of a lot else beyond the 80s. Kathy McKee went on to do a number of things in her life, especially in and around like uh, the California, Arizona area. Um, she became a casting director, an author, a talk show host, and uh, yeah, she's she's been a busy lady. Thalmas Rajulala uh, appeared in a lot of things prior to and after this appearance. I know he did a Star Trek Next Generation, I believe. It might have been a Deep Space Nine appearance, and sadly he passed away in 1991. Gil Scott Heron was a politically active and popular performer. Um, he was extremely influential, as I've said before, uh, and he, he passed away in 2011, and none of them folks returned to Saturday Night Live. 
despite its obvious detractions, um, the show itself, uh, structurally and for most writing, is it's it's peaking now. Um, things are falling into place. We can see where it's at. I thought Richard Pryor was fantastic. Uh, Her- uh, Gil Scott Heron was great. And the cast, for what they did, was was on top form. There's a lot of energy in that cast. The issue now, for me, is still the stuff that's bringing it down. The Muppets and Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks's film was, was disgusting. It was just terrible. I saw no benefit to the film whatsoever. Um, and I was thinking I could probably handle one or two of these things per episode, but I can't do much more of having them both. Ideally, they'll both go. A lot of things in this episode were about race, and from my standpoint, it was handled everywhere from brilliantly to terribly. Um, and I really wonder if this was released today, if this made the light of day today, what uh, what people would uh, would think about it. I certainly don't think a lot of it would make air. And sadly, I didn't see any bees in this episode, which was uh, which was upsetting. All things considered, based on how things have been going, I scored this an 8 out of 10. I want bees in every episode. I want bees to have their time on the screen, but they didn't get it. This episode, for me, because I've spoken about it so much, I am just going to ignore the little sketch that shall not be named... Other than that, like, the whole episode was fantastic. It feels like it's really starting to come together. There's a flow and an energy to the whole episode. And for me, it was a 7.5. I think there was a few things that let the episode down a bit. And that only goes as far as my personal rating, uh, obviously, and uh, which is completely subjective. I didn't love the musical guest this week, so we got a little bit of a drawback here. Obviously, we've got the bad sketch, and I didn't love Coke Nail Lady. This episode really seems like, historically, it's uh, it's more than the sum of its parts. I give this episode 7 out of 10. Stellar marks from this panel. A 8, a 7.5, and a 7, and that, of course, averages us out at 7.5. And would you like to know what the Internet Movie Database users thought of this episode? Of course. They gave it an 8.5, so we're not that far off again. Okay. Bit generous. Yeah, I don't... A little generous for me. A little generous for me. That's a whole 1.5 away from my rating, so for Mm -hmm. me, IMDB is wrong on this one. Too generous. (laughs) Because I thought, you know what? My seven is generous. This yep. in my heart is a six five. My yeah. seven's generous. Their eight five is rose colored history glasses. But I mean, you've been further off. Uh, not not off like it's a competition. I think the IMDb is is is, is typically generous. Um, but you've been farther, much farther from the mark that they set um, in other episodes. So it's it's interesting. Um, I'm glad we're all in the same ballpark though the three of us yeah me too so there was a lot of great discussion on this episode um over a lot of different things um and uh, i'm very glad we were all here to uh, to talk about it uh, matt and d it was dope loved it love doing this can't wait for the <laughs> next one and speaking of our next one we'll be back in about a week's time with episode eight featuring the return of candace bergen how do you guys feel about candace bergen coming back for another round I'm excited. Is this a Christmas episode? It is a Christmas episode, yes. Our first Christmas episode, D is pulling the most egregious face. It's not Christmas time. It's not Christmas time. It's hard to watch a Christmas episode when it's not Christmas time. 
Oh, I have it. a note about that we'll talk about next time. So things certainly got heated in our discussion today, and uh, that's to be expected when you are sitting so close to the Hobbs of SN Hell. We'll see you next time.